Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Chris Woodbridge going to join us this morning. Woody, as he's known. Talk, get Woody's thoughts on Iwo Jima. Get Woody's thoughts on some other things. So fired up about that. Um, <clears throat> did the little online seminar that we're doing these days. So that was pretty cool last night. Um, you know, one of the interesting kind of general points of the discussion is about discipline seeing discipline, seeing self-discipline as your friend. Not ordinary. Most people do not look at it like that. Yeah. And yet, everybody knows, everybody knows, I think, when they give it some thought, right, That, you know, the way out of the valley is, you know, you got you to gotta do those things consistently if you want to stay, if you want to stay out of there. And um, yet, the, just the word sends people the other way. When I think of discipline, I think of the military. I think of, I don't think of it as a positive thing in my life. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's simply the way we look at it. So very interesting. Uh, very interesting. And then you hear how, yet, right, when I'm disciplined, I'm wearing clothes out of the skinny end of my closet, which I love, right? Um, and relative to life after trauma, it is, um, it is not only getting out of the valley of the shadow of death, it's staying out. And so... Interesting, interesting discussion points on that. I uh, 
I put up new blinds in my house. Some in here in my studio, which I'm so happy I did. I had like vertical blinds. And you know those things, they don't always work right. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. And um, so I just went and bought some horizontal blinds. Oh, my God. No more, like, squinting at my screen because there's vertical sun streaks on it at certain times of the day. I'm very happy I did that. And then did the same thing in my bedroom. Did it in Colleen's room as well. So, <clears throat> Colleen, very happy. Um, so I did that yesterday. I also redid my studio out my garage. I'm getting ready to film there again. So, redid the studio a little bit. I'm excited about that. And I'll pump out another version of post-traumatic winning, which will be very much like the last version I just did, except I'll be actually in it, doing it, which I've been told I need to do. Hey, you have to do this. And I said, all right, all right, I will, uh, I will do that. So um, that going on today, I haven't even looked at the news. I have a lot of friends that have told me that, like, hey, I don't even look at the news anymore because I think it's just so ridiculous. Yeah. I want to think I one of the things I think is interesting is with Donald Trump not in the news, where does all that go? Where does all that go? Right? Who is it going looking for? Um, you know, greater scrutiny being applied to Dr. Fauci and the things that he says that have tended to be, <laughs> I don't want to say all over the map, but if, if when you see his, uh, his audio clips spliced together, it's moderately amusing to say the least, right? Moderately amusing to say the least. Right, and he's only about the science, right? He's only about the science, you know. And we'll be wearing masks and not, and you know, if if you're a public health person, you know, I mean, it's the rest of our nightmare, and it's their fantasy. When public health rules the world, all business gets shut down. <laughs> that's that's the way it works, and they don't give a shit, right? Because they're still getting paid. Go ahead and and, and say, you know what? Everybody here in government, you know, our revenues are down so much, everybody's taking a 50% pay cut, okay? And if you make less than $50,000, your pay won't be cut, and that pay cut will come with everybody in the top tier. Here's what you would hear. What the fuck? Oh, hey, we need to open shit up. We need that revenue to flow again. I mean, it is the public health people gone crazy. Right, it's almost as bad as like absurd of, of all absurdities, right? The Muppets now, right, are being branded as you know some form of hate speech. There's a warning that goes with the Muppets now. The fucking Muppets, the Muppets. That's how fucking crazy our world is now. Right, but it has to run its course. It will get kookier. It will get kookier. The other interesting um, receptacle of media energy that increases on a daily basis is the governor of the state of New York. And he, let me tell you, 
Donald Trump provided a lot of cover for a lot of people. And it'll be curious to see what happens up there. What the truth is. Did they really cover it up? So um, so I'll be interested. I'll be interested to watch that. Um, a couple of interesting stories. Sailors must reaffirm their oaths during stand downs to address extremism in the military. You know, this is another version of Marines United where we're all going to scream and yell because a handful of idiots, right? A handful of idiots at the end of the day get online and do stupid shit. So we're going to have a stand down. Everybody's going to reaffirm their oath. Right. 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 And it's just a cosmetic reaction to shit that goes on on Capitol Hill. This time, literally. Right. <clears throat> Marine Corps is in the news again today. Uh, Marine Corps seeks to make a smarter infantry force with its new course. Marine Corps is ditching some of its formation marches and adding board games to a new longer entry-level infantry training course aimed at creating Marines who can better think and act for themselves. The Infantry Marine Corps pilot program launched last month at the Services School of Infantry West at Camp Pendleton, where instructors were pictured instructing new Marines on how chess relates to battlefield tactics. The course focuses less on micromanagement and more on individual responsibility, the service said. Rote memorization, instant obedience to orders and are good for certain things, and they're not getting thrown away from this course, said Chief Warrant Officer A.J. Paschetti, the training battalion's gunner. We're just going to step further and understand that the individual... And a collective of individuals is what wins in combat. The new course was developed over a year and is based on General Berger's planning guidance. Uh, we should do something about this because the whole infantry pipeline is supposedly going to get much, much, much longer. So uh, interesting, interesting stuff, right? Interesting stuff. We had an interesting conversation, if you missed it, about Afghanistan yesterday. What's going to happen there? What is going to happen um, in Afghanistan? And why is it in America's interest to stay there even longer? So we will see what the Biden administration has to say. Um, Joe Biden, killing me already. Right, aiding Russia. Nice going there, Joe. Anyway, Marine Corps leads all military services in hazing by far. Now, you know what? I've had Sergeant Major say, "You know what? You want to know why that is? Because we report it. Yeah, we have Marines that'll report it." The other services. They have the same issues. They just don't report as much. 
which I thought was kind of interesting. Which I thought was kind of interesting. The um, I what, so what we're going to talk about with Chris Woodbridge here in a few minutes is um, we talked to him about Iwo Jima. Get Woody's thoughts on that, and I want to get an update on their uh, heat. You know, and you'll hear Chris talk about it, but um, you'll hear um, he, he's come on this program and talked about the archiving uh, project that um, he's involved with. I think it's with the University of North Carolina and some of the stuff they have in some form of storage, both audio, video, and some other things. So um, anyway, um, we'll see where that is. We'll see where that is. Um, so we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the Marine Corps staff and CO problem. This problem of the staff and COs pulling back, the problem that empowers the senior Lance Corporal, all created by officers. We'll get Woody's thoughts on that, because I'm sure he hear, hears about it. And then we'll talk about this month's Gazette. So, <clears throat> good morning to you on this Tuesday. Yeah, I actually uh, remembered what it is. So, that's always a good thing. So, <clears throat> United States Marine Corps Band makes this morning official. Good morning. <laughs> This is uh, dedicated to the Marines who went up uh, Mount Suribachi that day. Uh, 76 years ago today, um, a platoon of Marines headed up that thing and uh, raised a flag that would become an iconic image. Um, and so, But it's also dedicated to the photographers that went up with them. Uh, that thing became, what, the picture of World War II. And... Um, and then also to everybody who served on the commission that finally sorted that thing out. And I will tell you, if you haven't sent away for it, you can, right? It's called Investigating EWO. It's, it's available for free from the Marine Corps Historical Division. Yeah, you go online and just look it up, Investigating EWO. And then you shoot them an email and they'll send you a copy. It's awesome. Kyle Gentry is going to join us. Uh, I think Kyle got out of the Marine Corps as a colonel. And uh, I knew him as a lieutenant colonel, I think. And he uh, he's going to join us. He was on uh, one of those commi commissions, and we'll talk to him tomorrow 
uh, about uh, get his thoughts on Iwo Jima. So this is dedicated to that proposition, all those people. say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds to win. You gotta win. Chris Woodbridge standing by. Actually, now, I have a problem with the line that Skype's on. It doesn't stay locked down. And so when I call, it bleeds onto the air. And I don't know, I, I should unscrew that. I don't know why. I don't know if it levels are too high or something. Anyway, check the weather real quick. It is sunny. And 51 in Northern Virginia, where Chris Woodbridge is in Quantico. Sunny at 51 down the coast at Camp Lejeune. Sunny at 57, 29 Palms. Sunny at 56. Marine Corps Base Camp Pendleton, sunny in 56. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy in 74. Okinawa, dark cloudy 66. In Darwin, ooh. Dark cloudy in 77. Darwin under 80, doesn't have very much. And Oslo, that's in Norway. It is uh, partly sunny late in the day and 34 degrees. They've warmed up. Currently at the home of Almerin Radio, it is sunny and 54 degrees. Today, we're looking for a high of 70. Now, my phone says something different. Let me see. My phone says, oh, 69. 
It was close to 80 yesterday. So that's a look at your weather. Now, joining us now is uh, the one and only. He's not joining us now. I have to call him. So, Yeah, see, when I turn that down, see you can still hear it. Or I can. But joining us now is Chris Woodbridge, the uh, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Colonel, United States Marine Corps, retired, editor and publisher of the Marine Corps Gazette, publisher of Leatherneck Magazine, which Mary Reinwald mercifully edits. So Chris doesn't control everything. So Woody, first of all, Happy New Year. How the hell are you? Happy New Year, Mac. Haven't, uh, haven't heard from you since uh, since before the holidays. I'm like that, just so you know. Yeah, just uh, just doing fine on this end. Uh, weather probably a little different than uh, you've got out in California. Yeah, we did not participate in the great polar uh, vortex plunge. We opted out of that. <laughs> well, it slammed us pretty good. So, all you other sorry asses, you can bag on California and our our jackass of a governor and all that and all the other crazy stuff you see. But let me tell you. We were wearing shorts last week <laughs> and getting sunburned, even worse, getting sunburned because it was really nice. So, uh, but don't be discouraged. It's, your weather will come around too. So uh, it'll be, uh, it'll be in the nineties by the end of the month. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> there you go. And humid and humid. Yeah. What? Um, okay. Woody, I want to ask you for an update. Um, you guys are doing, archival work with the University of North Carolina, if I recall correctly. Yes. Um, we're, uh, we're associated with that kind of on the fringes. The folks who are really doing the bulk of that work is, uh, is the Marine Corps history division, right. uh, which is actually falls under, uh, Marine Corps university and education command, Got it. uh, here at Quantico. Um, we have, uh, 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 helped them in, uh, in a couple of different ways, uh, as a, you know, as a as a nonprofit, we can we can pull in resources uh, from donors and and things of that nature oh. to uh, assist with that uh, that effort. What's the most What's the most intriguing thing that you want to get your hands on or listen to <clears throat> that's associated with that collection? That's it's all being restored, right? University of North Carolina obviously has some kind of specialty in. As arch- right. archivist, right. is that if, is that? If- yeah, they've, they've got a uh, they, they have a, I guess it's called a uh, archives and library sciences program down there that they give advanced you know degrees in, and uh, they've got the technical capabilities also. Um, really, what's um, what's most sort of in play here, and and I'll use the words at risk, um, are uh, old analog archival materials. So. Uh, audio recordings, uh, some of which go back to uh, uh, some some very old technology, as in you know vinyl and and even wax cylinders uh, that were used to record uh, audio uh, back in the in the 30s and 40s, uh, and then obviously also uh, uh, you know video audio video uh, uh, material. You know, which goes all the way back to you know old reel-to-reel celluloid uh, film tape, and uh, you know that stuff is perishable. It uh, it it tends to decay over time, um, and so there's a there's a conservation effort that's really you know one of the most uh, important parts of this um, is uh, again 
you know, making sure this stuff doesn't just sort of uh, dry up and rot away or blow away or, uh, you know, become uh, unusable. Um, and then, you know, obviously the, the real benefit there is by con- conserving it and preserving it, you, uh, uh, you make it available in modern, uh, uh, you know, digital format. Uh, uh, be those, you know, um, MPEG files, WAV files, other right. other ways that uh, uh, MP4s that that folks can actually access this uh, amazing, amazing historical footage and uh, uh, and, and audio tape. Uh, you know the way we, well, the way we're talking right now, using uh, using computers and and using the web. Well, trust me, people are gonna people are gonna hear the wit and wisdom. Of, of you for centuries thanks to all marine radio <laughs> great great grandpa great great grandpa woody let me we could hear him oh my god grandma shut his ass off would you <laughs> um <laughs> they, we won't have that issue talk to me um so is there anything in that collection that you say look i want to hear john philip souza talking about getting drunk in dc there we have one i've been able to listen to it but it sounds really good is there anything in there that you would say uh speaks to you like that there's uh you know and, and I'll, I'll uh i'll blow our own horn a little bit and uh and uh and point the listeners towards some of the stuff that's out there on uh the association's website uh the core voices podcasts um if you if you listen to those uh, you know, among other things, you you get to listen to Chesty Puller. Um, now, you know how many of today's Marines or even old farts like us can say that? Yeah, we've we've heard Chesty's voice. We've actually listened to him. Uh, you can listen to, you know, a good uh, uh, curated, edited uh, interview uh, with him talking about counterinsurgency and counter guerrilla operations uh, in Nicaragua. And he spent five years in Nicaragua as a company commander, um, which which wow. sort of tells you something about how uh, 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 fighting that kind of campaign, uh, what, what sort of commitment it requires, because uh, he spent a, uh, a similar amount of time. Five years? Yeah. Didn't we have anybody else that needed to you know get a little time under their belt i mean what in the hell so so you know that's that that statement in and of itself the idea of getting some time under your belt is a very uh post-world war ii concept in terms of um force force management but also manpower management and if you really want to you know put your finger on when that became a factor um, it really sort of started during Vietnam, the idea that you had to go and do a tour, get, uh, you know, get your time in the jungle. Um, and if you didn't do that, you know, you were missing a, uh, you know, a, a check on your checklist. You were missing, a, you know, the old idea well, of punching. But Woody, ticket. isn't there some balance between five years fighting as a company commander in Nicaragua and you know, thir- 12 months there and then back home and six months, you know, as a platoon commander and then XO, CO or some, I mean, I mean, there's, a, those are two extremes, right? Where's Puller? I, oh, right. hey, yeah, I mean, we sent him to it, Nicaragua. It, it, He'll be back when we're, we're victorious. Um, right. Well, remember World War II, the phrase was for the duration. For the duration. Uh, right. You know, meaning you were, you were, 
doing your part uh, wherever the Corps or the Army or the Navy needed you to do it for the duration. And uh, you had most likely been drafted. Uh, so, uh, you know, how long are you drafted for? The, the duration. duration. Yeah, no kidding. You know, I'll tell you what, there's some great stories, too, of, you know, how big the Marine Corps got and then guys came home, right? And right. Uh, I interviewed somebody. I wish I could remember his name. He gets off the boat in, in San Diego. They come off the ship, down to the dock, right? They throw, they're throwing their rifles in piles on the dock. They're, hand, right? they're handed a DD-214 signed by somebody, right? And he goes over and gets on the train at, the, at that small train station in downtown San Diego, takes the train to L.A. and goes home. He's home from the war. That was it. You're out. Yep. And you're thinking, yep. you're like, and I said, well, well, could you have taken your rifle? He said, well, I could have. I didn't want to, but I could have taken it with me. Nobody would. It's not like anybody gave a shit. And you're just like, wow. Wow, yep. the um. All right, I want to talk to you about Iwo Jima, the early phases of the, of 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 the fight. Uh, once we go ashore, uh, mm -hmm. any thoughts on that? Um, Suribachi, we were talking yesterday. Uh, the Mensa sisters and I were talking, and Suribachi falls, uh, relatively quickly. It is not the be all end all, right? That that yeah. a lot of planners thought it would be, and and then as we're on the island, and what we don't know yet is that they will never, ever come above ground. We don't know that yet, right? We're waiting, you know, you, if, when you read and you know, understand the Marine Corps assessments and things like this. Nobody, nobody understands what, what probably the most formidable Japanese commander of World War II is doing on Iwo Jima. Smart, innovative, and then ultimately um, – will have an impact on the, you know, the United States' uh, very, I think, appropriate decision to drop the atomic bomb because of the prices that get paid on Okinawa and Iwo Jima. Um, your thoughts on the early parts of the campaign, all that kind of is, is, is in play uh, in this dynamic situation where 76 years ago, uh, Marines from the 5th Marine Division go up Mount Suribachi and and uh, an image is recorded that will change Marine Corps history. But uh, your thoughts on the early part of the campaign, Woody? So I, um, I certainly, uh, there, there's a couple of different, uh, let me call them snapshots, about three different snapshots that, uh, that always jump out at me from, from study of the battle. Um, and the first one actually is before the battle ever started, um, you know, over, over a year before the battle started as uh, you know, Iwo Jima is identified as a, you know, an operational and strategic objective. And, and what we mean about it is not so much the, you know, the island itself, uh, it's the airfields on the island and their proximity to the Japanese home islands. So, you know, the, the, uh, it was, it was not an accident. It was not, uh, uh, you know, in some way, uh, uh, an inevitability that, uh, well, you know, we've got to, we've got to get that island uh, because it's in the way. No, it's a it's a prime piece of real estate for both uh, uh, Allied uh, U.S. heavy bombers uh, and for uh, fighter escort aircraft. Um, and so, uh, knowing that that the Marine Corps and the Navy were going to have to uh, uh, take this particular pre prime piece of real estate, a a deliberate effort, and what today we would refer to as combat development and integration, a deliberate effort to create the 5th Marine Division. And remember what their name is, the Spearhead. 
that is because they are going to be the amphibious spearhead to take that that piece of real estate. Now, obviously, they didn't do it alone. They did it with third and fourth divisions as well, and and uh, uh, an awful lot of air support, naval support, etc. But in terms of a purpose-built unit, uh, so organized, trained, and equipped for that purpose of being that that uh, uh, really amphibious armored spearhead to uh, take all the lessons learned from from previous uh, amphibious landings in the Pacific, to take all the uh, uh, development of uh, weapons technology up to that point, uh, and to train, uh, you know, doing doing what today we would call mission rehearsal exercises, uh, Camp Pendleton, uh, Hawaii, Hawaii yeah. uh, and, uh, and elsewhere in the Pacific. To and, and, and again, specifically to go up that mountain because they thought that mountain was going to be such a formidable obstacle on that island. Right. Um, That's right. And that division, if you look at the landings that that left of your of your landing beaches, that that commanding high ground um, certainly, certainly had everyone's attention. And, uh, you know, I've I've walked the ground there three times and it's uh, it, it is. Uh, as as somebody who's never been there, you're lucky. I don't throw your sorry ass off this show right now for saying that shit. <laughs> I hope I just I hope you know that. Hey, hey, Not that it, it ain't that great even today, man. <laughs> Not that I'm bitter, but you're so lucky. No, I love. I mean, I've never been, and I know people that have been multiple times like you, Woody. But uh, I, I I've never. I've never been, but you know, you see the choreography of the whole, the way the division's composed, a lot of veterans from, you know, the paramarines and the Marine Raiders in the fifth division. Correct. Correct. Right. And, and they're composed, you know, I, I, I had a guy come on and talk about hanging out and drinking beer with John Bazelone, uh, mm-hmm. in the slop shoots at Hawaii. When, you know, you're done training, you, you go to the slop shoot and you're buying three cent beer, five cent beer, whatever the hell it was. And you're just hanging out. And, uh, and, you know, all that, you know, Harry the horse, you know, the CO of 28th <laughs> Marines, right? I mean, there's, I'll tell you what, if you want to read a great book, uh, it's called Lions of Iwo Jima. And um, it's written by Fred, Major General Fred Haynes, who was, a, what, a first lieutenant on, on the island, would he? And just, uh, but the book is, is it's full of these personal accounts. And one of the stories is Liversidge throws, the, all the officers of the regiment are out on Libo, I don't know, in Honolulu or someplace, and he throws a slot machine through a window because he gets pissed. And he's a giant of a man, right? He's a, he's, you know, what, he's, he's an Olympic athlete, I believe. And he's just, he gets pissed because the slot machine's not paying off. And the other officers say, <laughs> we heard this gigantic crash, and we all stick our heads around the corner, and here's a colonel standing there, and he's thrown the slot machine through the window. <laughs> Uh, and they ha- and they have the the book gets its title from uh, they take a lion with them. Twenty eighth Marines takes a lion with them from California. Uh, one of the corpsmen buys a lion for his son's first birthday, and his wife tells him, "Get that thing out of here!" <laughs> right, like any sane woman would. So then he takes it down to work, and they're like, "Well, what are we going to do with this thing?" And they say, well, see if we can embark it. And they do. They put a lion on the ship. They take it to Hawaii. They quarantine it for two weeks. It gets off. And they use the lion in the regimental parades when they have regimental duty. And they parade through Hilo. Like the, the local town, they have like the duty parade. And here's 
this lion on a leash, for God's sakes. <laughs> There's pictures of a first sergeant using the lion's tail to, to put uh, shaving cream on the lion's tail, and he's putting it on his face. It's like, it's hilarious. Yes. Right? I think I've seen that picture. I oh, it's, it's that awesome. Picture. And you read the book, and Fred Hayes does this great job of weaving in the personality of, of, of the because they had so many guys from the Raiders and, and paramarines and, and with a lot of combat experience. And then with all these new guys and the flavor of the regiment, how it was put to, uh, together. And then they, you know, it's their regiment that goes up, you know, what second battalion, 20th Marines, it goes up, uh, Mount Suribachi this morning and uh, 76 years ago. And, but it's, it's, it's an absolutely, absolutely awesome book. It's called lions of Iwo Jima and Fred Haynes, who's been, uh, obviously around the Marine Corps since, uh, for a long, long time, uh, does a does a great job writing it, and uh, and then you know a lot of those guys don't survive the battle, and uh, you know John Baslone being one of them killed very early, you know Mike Strength, some of these guys that are just iconic Marines, you know he, he tells a story about how Strength tells his dad I, I'm not going to make it through this one, and his dad mm -hmm. says tells him don't say that, and he said Dad look, you only get so many chances. You know, and I, I've I've used up all mine. I know right. that. You know, and right. so it's very, very poignant, right? And uh, and these, you know, there's just these lions of men that go ashore on Iwo Jima, and uh, and and fight. You know, in the last four days since they went ashore, you know, at that base of Mount Suribachi was really where the fighting took place. Uh, you know, in the irregular because those those positions not as viewable to naval gunfire. Everything up on the mountain, I mean, shit. Right. They saw you light a cigarette. You got like nine 16-inch rounds through that little cigarette hole that they just noticed. So, and and see, there's the key. That that kind of gets to the second the second snapshot, if you will. And it's it's the you know the early fighting, uh, not just the fight for Suribachi, uh, which again it it had to be it had to be cleared. It was not uh, uh, insignificant. I mean, it is probably the most commanding view and commanding terrain on the island. And in terms of direct fire weapons, you've got, you know, really textbook flanking, plunging, enfilade fire uh, uh, onto the beachheads uh, for any sort of direct fire weapons, machine guns, anti-armor, uh, 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 small anti-armor pieces, etc. cetera. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the fact is up till that point, largely up till that point, uh, Japanese defenders had been all about the bonsai charge, all about su uh, uh, human wave attacks or suicide attacks. Um, you know, the, the big change uh, is General Kurabayashi, uh, you know, banning those sorts of tactics and, and recognizing the, the, the power of a dug-in defensive position, uh, even against, you know, superior supporting arms, uh, and and armor on the uh, uh, on the island, um, and and ordering and and training his troops uh, to hunker down, to stay in their positions, and to uh, force force the Marines into the open by not moving, by drawing mar the Marines in, uh, and forcing them to to spend those lives, spend that combat power, uh, digging them out, rooting them out, and burning them out. Um, great quote from uh, 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 General Smith, Alan Mad Smith, as he's watching this from uh, from his command ship, the uh, uh, the El Dorado. Um, 
he said, you know, towards the effect of, I don't know who's I don't know who he is referring to General Kurabayashi, but the Japanese general running this show is one smart bastard. Right. And, uh, and you know, that that's an admission there that uh, the Japanese had uh, changed tactics a little bit. And you would see this repeat itself again uh, uh, on uh, on Peleliu and on Okinawa, that uh, the you know the idea of of meeting them force on force at the at the waterline uh, and then doing massed uh, charges, uh, no, that's that's ineffective. It's much more effective to let uh, uh, the Allies let let Marines land and then uh, get behind them, get in amongst them at night. Uh, and, uh, and that's where that subsequent fighting, you know, 40 plus days of fighting really became, uh, uh, uh costly, uh, but also I, you, you have to, you have to really, I think, keep in mind the, the human factors there of, uh, really fear and uncertainty, uh, of, of knowing that, uh, your enemy is, is underground potentially behind you in amongst you and really just waiting for darkness, um, before you're going to get into, uh, you know, chances are a hand to hand fight, uh, at very, very close quarters. And unfortunately fights like that, uh, can get, can get very, uh, very even, <laughs> very fair fights. Right. And you don't want to be a, in a fair fight, uh, when your life's on the line. No, it's, it's, and that's to me, to me, the interesting part is that you know you can you can assess your opponent, right? And then you go ashore, and this is not going to be the fight a lot of people thought it was going to be. And as they begin to come to grips with that, right? The first the first week of the fight is, you know, feeling them out. I'll, I will tell you what. To me, the other interesting part of, you know, the most obstinate part of the island is the right flank of uh, the Fourth Marine Division where 21st Marines is. And, and I mean, if you look at their, if you look at their movements on a daily basis, they don't move. They hang, they, they come ashore and they, and they essentially, you know, face to the right and, and begin that they do, between the meat grinder, the amphitheater, Turkey knob, you measure their progress in literally in yards. And it's not till the end of the battle that they start gobbling up. I mean, and it's just it's amazing to watch them not move right uh, it's uh it's uh, the 4th marine division on the right hand flank you know at the at the boat at the boat basin and whatnot um i mean wow just what a brutal 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 fight that was and again what 20,000 or so odd japanese for most of the battle you know 40,000 marines and in a very very small place and no prisoners taken Right. Only, only, I think 219, uh, Japanese surrendered at the end. Uh, yeah. yeah. By the end. Right. And then they, then slowly, but surely, you know, I, I think that the final number was, you know, between a thousand and two thousands that ultimately right. wandered out of caves. And we were talking yesterday, you read the which, stories which months, right? <laughs> right. Well, and that was that the army rounded those guys up after, you know, after Marine long after Marines had left, they were still finding those guys, but you know, the way ultimately, you know, they're getting guys to come out of those caves is, you know, pumping them full of salt water and then dumping fuel on top of the salt water and then lighting the fuel on fire. Right. I mean, just grim, gruesome stuff and standing there out, outside, you know, with their rifles pointed at a hole as these guys start floating out. And, you know, if they make any move, they got shot and killed. Um, but but 
interesting, interesting history. What would you say, Woody? I mean, you have you you know you have access to a lot of people and a lot of different things. And as as the editor of the Gazette, what's the most unique and interesting thing you've seen relative to Iwo Jima? Well, there's the uh, um, I'll tell you the uh, the Leatherneck article, ten days on Iwo Jima, um, published uh, weeks after the battle. Uh, is uh, is is just amazing. I mean, really phenomenal. You know, from a from a company command perspective. Um, and then the other thing that I would point to much much more recently um, is the uh, you know the work that the Marine Corps has done uh, under the auspices of the of the Hewley Board, the uh, named for named for Lieutenant uh, uh, General Jan Hewley, um, going back through. Uh, so much, so much historical archival uh, evidence uh, in order to uh, correctly or as correctly as humanly possible identify um, the flag raisers in both the, the first and second Suribachi flag raisings. Um, there's, there, there's something about that that I think is, uh, is very uniquely uh, uh, marine, uh, and that is that you know, no, matter, no matter how long it takes um, you know, we're, we're going to do the right thing. Uh, and we're going to continue to do the right thing, uh, uh, as, 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 as times change and technology changes, uh, you know, we're never just gonna, we're never just going to say good enough. Uh, and and uh, we don't like our PAOs that much. So when it comes to unscrewing them, okay, we're all about that. And even, if, even if it takes us 70 years, 70 plus years to write that wrong, we're like, we will automatically throw. If you're an infantry officer, we might show you some mercy, you know, and maybe even an artillery guy. We don't even have tankers anymore, so we're not going to talk about them. But PAOs, they're the first ones going on their bus. So <laughs> we're not afraid. And, and, I, and I said this a little bit ago before you came on, Woody, but the, 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 the book that I have called Investigating Evo that's been put out by the yes. Historical Division, right? Yep. If you're if you're a student of World War II, if you're at all a student of Iwo Jima, if you don't write them and get your free copy, um, which I still think it's free, um, you're a dope, okay? Because this stuff is full of incredible articles that have come out of the out of all of this work that has been done done to get to ground truth. And Woody Woody made a point one of the times he was on. And he said this. He said, look, it's really important to the families of not only the Marines of the second flag raising, but the Marines of the first flag raising, too, to get that right, to get that right, to be able to tell everybody the footnoted truth and even assign probabilities in terms of certainty of where we believe this is. I mean, and the, and what they did with FBI forensic, you know, picture forensics and all the rest of the stuff they did. It's really interesting to read about. So if you're at all interested, you know, it's called Investigating EWO, and it is an absolutely incredible, incredible work. So I'd recommend that to you. Yeah, I I, I like to uh, kind of put it in the same same category as combat reporting. You know, there, there's uh, the old saying that... Uh, you know, the first reports of excited men are generally never as good or as bad as uh, as they as they first uh, report. But uh, I, I go one further, and we used to have a rule of thumb, and I think it's probably still out there that in combat reporting you you tell the truth and you keep telling the truth until the truth stops changing. 
because in combat, the truth is going to continually change. Well, I think this is an extension of that. You know, you, you continue to tell the truth and, and certainly those, uh, uh, those Marines, uh, uh, 70 plus years ago, uh, they were, they were telling the truth as they remembered it, as they knew it. And as the situation permitted at the time, um, but, uh, but they get I, caught in truck. I mean, I look at John Bradley and he knows he's not in that thing. He knows he's looking at that statue and he's probably he's sitting there at the day they dedicate it thinking, how can none of these idiots look at a picture of me on Iwo Jima and know that that isn't even close to my uniform? Am I the only one with a brain here? Right. And at some point, somebody's going to find this shit out. And am I going to be revealed as a fraud? I mean, you see the pictures of him that day. He's not smiling in very many of them. But, you know, but it's this human drama, right? Yeah. But he packs yeah. it in because that's what he got asked to do. Go on this war bond. This is you, right, Doc? Yep. You know. You're uh, telling me to do this. I was up there that if day. Find different, they'll tell me to do something different. Right. You know, and, it, it's sort of the way, you know, the way folks were back then. There right. Was, uh, there was a lot more... Um, I don't know if I'd call it faith in leadership, but, uh, you know, I mean, there was, there was a, a good deal more, um, uh, subordination. Right. <laughs> um, right. Sh- shut up and color. Okay. And, you know, and you know, Bradley, he's thinking, well, I'll just do this. It'll all be over and I'm going to go home and it never <laughs> ends. Right. It never ends. And that poor guy, and you, you know, you know, you hear his son say, you know, he wouldn't do interviews. Right. And, you know, tell him I'm fishing and the burden he lives with. Cause in my, in my mind, there's no doubt he, he knows that that's not him. And because when you first see the pictures in the Omaha, um, I want to say star ledger, but that's not it. Omaha world Herald. When you, it takes you about what Woody, a second before you go, Oh my God. Right. Bradley's uniform is so distinct, and he's not in that picture. And that's how much forensic uh, evidence you needed when you see him standing there with his two, I I would call them Unit 1s, bandolier style, his cuffed pants, right? And you're just looking at that going, oh, my God. And he's sitting there that day going, these people are all idiots, man. I know Marines aren't the smartest people, and I know this new Army Air Corps thing is calling them crayon eaters, but, I mean, really, come on. Somebody's got to notice, eh? So, but it's all that comes out in the book, right? And and it's yes. it's and it's fascinating, and they're just awesome, awesome guys. I want to switch gears I, before we talk about this month's gazette. I want to ask you about a. Um, <clears throat> I get around the Marine Corps a little bit. Okay, I'm not sure if you know that, but I do. And um, I just spent three weeks on the East Coast, and and there's a phenomenon. Um, of staff and CO pullback because with the pack order and a and a lot of other things and the staff and COs don't say this for publication but they will tell you on the down low. If I somebody allegates against me, I don't know that the officers in my chain of command are going to back me up. It ain't worth my career, so this will now become a seven thirty to 1730 job for me. And, you know, what you have historically known as staff NCO dominance of the Marine Corps, you know, 
maybe not the same. Into that, into that void, into that kind of pullback a little bit. Um, and again, created by the policies of the officer corps, the Marine Corps, um, steps the senior lance corporal at 3 o'clock in the morning with all rights there and two pertaining, which has never been a part. I mean, I think Woody will tell you, you know, if the staff NCOs, when Woody and I were, were, were you know, making our living as at the company level, right, and, you know, Woody at the battalion level, but if the senior lance corporals would have done that stuff and the staff NCOs found out about it, they would rip the barracks down. Because they, 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 they ran the operation. They, they ran it. And so, Woody, I want to ask you about that. Do you, I mean, um, do you hear much about that? Uh, have you, is there much writing about that by staff NCOs? Um, because I would tell you the Marine Corps desperately needs its staff NCOs to come back. The officer corps needs to figure this out. How, how do you articulate it in such a way that they can do what they need to do? Because, you know, you can't have a construction site without a construction foreman. And if every time the construction foreman raises his voice or uses profanity, that results in a charge sheet or somebody getting fired or somebody getting counseled, you got to be shitting me. You know, so I, have you much knowledge about this issue? And if so, do you have any thoughts? So on I would it? say now I'd say a couple of things. First, you know, there's 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 probably a paucity or very little writing going on about it for the reasons that you'd you'd anticipate that you'd right. that you'd imagine. Uh, you know, no, nobody nobody really wants to talk about this, but I think there's some folks talking around it. Uh, quite a bit. Um, if you uh, uh, recently published two uh, two letters, two messages to the force from Sergeant Major Black, and uh, you know, the first one is the uh, the non-negotiables, and uh, uh, the second one talks about the new corps. Uh, I, I think in some ways that's that's potentially talking around or talking obliquely to this issue. Um, but it's a it's a serious disconnect. I mean, the simple fact of the matter is you, you're absolutely right. Um, a, a, you know, a construction foreman is uh, is a good analogy. Um, the other the other negative analogy is you know you you also can't have everybody acting like a union shop steward. Um, and and there's some of that as well sometimes of uh, uh, you know being that that layer in between, uh, quote unquote management, the officers, uh, and, uh, and the rank and file, uh, you know, taking care of the troops, uh, taking care of the troops, uh, I think is, uh, is shorthand for, you know, abrogation of responsibilities sometimes. Um, but, but the fact is if those subordinate leaders feel that they're at risk because their chain of command doesn't or won't back them up, um, I don't know how systemic that is, uh, but if if it's even close to uh, systemic, that is a serious problem. Um, and unfortunately, I don't know exactly how to fix that uh, because there's an it, there's an environmental factor there. Um, why would why would the chain of command not back that individual up um, if they are? Uh, even close to crossing the line in terms of uh, uh, improper conduct, hazing, uh, abuse, uh, 
well, you know, now if you if you back that individual up, well, now you own that. Uh, and uh, there's there's fear up and down the chain of command in that in that case. Um, I, I think the worst problem we have is there are really no clear definitions of the uh, the disciplinary tools available to leaders at uh, multiple levels. Um, you know, there's there's very clear understanding of the uh, uh, legal, administrative, and non-judicial tools available to officers. Um, in some cases, uh, staff NCOs have similar authorities uh, when they're uh, when they're on independent duty or, or uh, uh, on on embassy duty. Um, but other than that, the you know what we used to uh, you know call uh, extra military instruction, uh, what we used to call um, hands-on leadership, uh, that's that's very ill-defined. Uh, and because of that, it can be a minefield. It can be a minefield for the entire chain of command. Um, you, you know, know what, what, Woody? I, I was. I mean, now that stuff is. You know what punishment in in the operating forces are? We would have called them the Fleet Marine Force, but I think they're called the operating forces now. Um, is write me an essay. That's punishment. And so I was talking to a battalion commander. I said, you know what? The ad- average second grade teacher has more authority over their students than you have over your Marines. I said, and, you know, he or she at least has a tool, detention. So if I was you, I'd copy that one. And they did. I said, detention starts at 1700 or at the end of the workday. You go there, you leave your cell phone in your room. There's an MRE there. You'll participate in the company Gunny's beautification program. You'll do work for the first sergeant, or you'll be writing an essay. But that is your appointed place of duty. The COXO Gunny of the first sergeant will take attendance, and one of the staff and COs or one of the lieutenants will be the detention monitor and waste their fucking time. Now, we used to have a whole variety of ways that we would do that, right, Woody? When we ran the chow halls, right? We, you know, we had, you know, duty platoon and all that stuff. You know, you mess with a staff sergeant, they would play fuck fuck with you till you learned your lesson. And they could do it all. And nobody thought any, nobody laid their hands on anybody, but they had the authority to do that. Now that would be considered hazing. And I said, look, so, and so they did. And he, said, he called me, goes, Mac, Mac, what a splendid idea. And I said, isn't it? Waste their time without their cell phone. They'll get the message. And any NCO or staff NCO or officer can assign somebody to detention. Hey, at 1700, your name is now on the list be there yeah and it, it's it's fundamentally different than restriction right so therefore it is not uh there is no requirement that there be a a non-judicial or or judicial court-martial procedure right to to restrict that marine it's essentially an extension of the duty day right and, and <laughs> right and it's to- supervised by the co the xo the gunner the first sergeant so you got that one covered too and it and it has to be um and you know, sometimes, sometimes that's where this falls to the ground as well. Uh, you know, hey, I want to go home too. Well, no, somebody's got to be there. Uh, and well, it hey, does have to be one night a week. We can even do detention on the weekends for a few hours. You got well, to come to detention. We do that routinely. The uh, the right. old remedial hike 
was was key. Uh, so yeah, Saturday Saturday morning, uh, zero dark. Uh, we're going to do a remedial hike, um, and it's not necessarily remedial for it can be for falling out of a of another movement, but it could be remedial for some other for a lot of different reasons. You know the um, but it's not it's, punitive; it's remedial. What there you go. What <laughs> that's important distinction. Oh, well, it is. No, no, it is. And and that in, therein lies part of the problem here. Again, when I say it's an environmental issue, uh, a systemic issue is. Uh, this, you know, this is another reflection of the uh, uh, litigious nature of the current environment. And combine that with the ability that, with a the stroke of a thumb, I can put your shit out to the entire world on social media, right? And so, to me, what's interesting in my discussion with staff and CEOs is that, you know, Mac, what you said is absolutely true. But we're a reflection of the officer corps. The officer corps isn't taking those risks. They've seen what's happened to leaders that, that use profanity, that use, you know, off-color speech or or don't interact with Marines in, in an appropriate manner. And they go ahead and they get smoked. So the officer corps pull back too. You know, they pull back. So why would we be any different if we didn't do the same thing that they're doing? And I said, good point. Good point. But you're right. I mean, this is an environmental issue. How do we do this? How do we get it right? Because let me tell you, this thing doesn't work without the staff and CEOs having the same authority that a construction foreman has. Okay. And that isn't to punch anybody or any of that stuff, but to make things run on time, to kick things in the ass when they need to, that's, those are things that get done in shops and at construction sites all around the country. And yet you try to use some of those tactics, techniques, and procedures, you know, and you're going to get, you know, people, uh, you know, people lining up, you know, either at the IG's inbox or whatever saying I'm being, I'm being hazed. And um, so again, it's an interesting systemic problem in the Marine Corps. And it's interesting when I go around, I mention it now in my presentation, um, you know, when I talk about, you know, Marines as mentors and counselors and also as supervisors. And I tell the staff and COs, I said, hey, look, man, you guys used to be our therapist. The most significant and best therapist I ever had in my life was my company, Gunning. Lance Y. The single most significant person that gave me the best advice I ever got in my life was my high school educated company, Gunning. And I said, we desperately need you to come back because most of these Marines, 99% of them do not have a mental health issue. They're struggling with life. And they need your big meat hook on their shoulder, looking them straight in the face and saying, hey, man, you could do this. I'll show you. We'll kick this thing right in the ass. That's what they need. And we need you to come back and be our therapist. And we need you to come back and be the parents. Because when parents don't see their kids and when parents step back, nothing good's happened. And that's what's going on. The senior Lance Corporal was never a thing. <laughs> when Woody and I were there. I, in fact, one of, my, one of my Marines came and watched my presentation, right? One, came and watched my presentation in, uh, when I was doing it. I was at, let's see, Cherry Point for a week, New River for a week, and I was down at Buford for a week. And so um, just in time to catch all that cold weather, just so you know. Um, and one of my Marines comes over from Winston-Salem. He was my vehicle commander uh, when I was a company commander. And afterwards, we go out to dinner, and he says, hey, he calls me Cap Mac. Hey, Cap Mac, what's this senior Lance Corporal thing and, and what, that thing going on at 3 in the morning? 
I don't understand that. And now this gives you some indication of, of the difference between when Woody and I were young and, and today's young Marines. Today's young Marines don't grow up fighting. You get you fight in high school, you get expelled, right? Well, that's the way we used to grow up. And, and I would call it recreational fighting. Nobody's pulling a knife. Nobody, nobody's getting killed, right? It's just fisticuff, right? Recreational fighting when you're young. And I explained this 3.30, 3 o'clock thing to him, and he starts laughing. He goes, oh, hell no. We'd have fought. We'd have, we'd have set that straight, that shit straight. You're going to come into my room, two Lance Corporals and a PFC, and you're going to start, you know, you're going to start doing that bullshit. We had had a three-on-one fight in that thing, and we'd have, we'd have straightened it out the next day. And then he's the one that said, and when the staff NCOs found out about it, they would have ripped the place down. He said, why don't they fight? Why don't they stop it? I said, they, I said, Marines don't fight now. When they're young, they don't grow up fighting. So to do what you did, they wouldn't think of that. And he just said, wow. Wow. So interesting. Interesting the difference in culture, right? Yeah, that, that loss of, uh, I don't know what to call it, loss of physicality, um, that's, that's frightening. Well, I mean, you recruit training, right? Most of those guys who show up to recruit training have never been in a fight. Yeah, or they've or they've seen someone shot, uh, or 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 something traumatic along those lines, because the the level of violence, not physicality, but violence, is so much worse in some places. Well, hey Woody, I'll tell you this: uh, there's a study done by the University of Rochester that I use in my presentation, and it's of the all males in the all volunteer force. And I point out, note that every one of these numbers is higher for females. 43%, so they, they came from a home where there was emotional abuse. 37% or tw- 34% said there was alcohol abuse in their home. 27% say there's domestic violence. 12% said that they was um, uh, somebody incarcerated lived in their home. And 11% say that they were touched sexually in their own home. And I look at everybody and I say, okay, so know that numbers for women in every one of those categories is higher. I said, now, if that's DOD-wide, and this is to Marines— what would you expect the Marine Corps to be, higher, lower, or the same? And we all know the answer to that, right? Everybody says higher. Why? We're the destination for tough guys. We're the destination for tough girls. Well, let me ask you this. Why does a little kid become tough? You know, yesterday, little Chris Woodbridge wanted to be an astronaut. Today, he just wants to be a tough guy. Most kids become tough because life requires it. You're either going to get tough or you're going to be somebody's roadkill. And... We bring all that trauma. So I, I tell them, look, if you want my, what I've gleaned from almost five years of interviews and into my third year of doing this traveling road show, how much sexual violence and how much child abuse is in the Marine Corps. And when sure. I say that, everybody says, oh, yeah, the women. And I say, I'm not even talking about the women. I'm talking about the men. And I said, and you know who you are because you're sitting in this room right now because I know because I meet you. And I said, I would tell you that 60% of Marines would report emotional abuse in their home. I tell you close to 50% would report alcohol abuse. I tell you close to 40% would report domestic violence. That's what I would tell you. The numbers yeah. are higher. And, and here's what I don't understand, Woody, because I, you, you think back. How many Marines you, did you had in your units that were tough kids who never said a word? I can remember, I mean, I'm Cliff Turner you know, a corporal by the name of Hernandez. I mean, these are tough, good Marines, and they never said anything. And now I think back wondering, 
if I would have known some of what this What were stuff, they not talking about? Exactly. What happened in their homes, and, and I didn't know what to do. I knew they had come from tough backgrounds, but I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to handle it. And I think the significance of these numbers is, as an institution, we don't know this. We don't look at our lieutenants and look at our staff NCOs and say, in those good-looking uniforms with all those haircuts, those good-looking haircuts standing in those good-looking formations is an absolute shit ton of trauma. And you have the opportunity to influence their lives and change their lives, you know, if you'll lead them well, right? Yeah, That's, it was, you know, the, in the old days, the old SRB days when you actually had a, uh, you know, a, a paper file and, uh, you know, a, a platoon commander's notebook, you know, things start to, started to jump out at you, you know, even, even you know, 25, 30 years ago. Uh, you know, okay, parents, you know, father whereabouts unknown or mother whereabouts unknown, uh, uh, parents, different last names. Hey, what's going on there? Oh, no, that was my, my grandmother who raised me. What happened to your parents? You start asking those questions and you scratch the surface on it. And again, it's, as you said, that, that silent majority, if you will, of, of tough kids, good Marines who are just moving on from something really traumatic. Oh my God. And it is, uh, it's, it's amazing. And I, I'll t I tell them, you listen to their stories and I look at them and I say, you know, you're a miracle, right? You know that. And they don't, of course. Right. And they just look at me and I say, there's no way that you should be here right now. You understand that, right? The only reason you're here is by virtue of your own personal character and your DNA, because you sure as hell shouldn't be here. Right. And if you've come this far, you can do the rest, I promise you. But again, I, it would take us probably, Woody, what, 30 days? Uh, not 30, but maybe 90 days to collect enough anonymous data. And you, what you need is their age, you know, you, 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 gender, age, race. I would get where you're from in terms of the economic spectrum, top, middle, or bottom third. And this is just your own self-assessment. And check these blocks. Which ones apply to you? We don't need anything else. Throw it in the pile and walk away. And within 90 days, we would have a model that would not move a whole lot north, south, east, or west. And then we could give our leaders and say, you wonder who's in your force? This is who's in those things, right? you got to lead. They need you to go to these places and lead. They need you to give a shit. They need you to know them better. You know, I have this quote, you know, General Furness saying, you know, the key to all of this is you've got to know them better. And then I have General Mass saying, you know, love them and care about them. That Of all the things, I said, look, these guys have 80 years of leadership between them. I don't know, 20 combat deployments, something like that. One of them says, love them, care about them. The other one says, the key to all this is knowing them better, right? Of all the things these guys could say, this is what they say, to be a leader and to truly lead in the Marine Corps. And I said, and it's not bullshit, it's the truth. And you, we all know, if your Marines love you, I say, you know all these monuments we have around the Marine Corps? All these like road markers and city signs and shit. Do you think that the Chamber of Commerce came out in the middle of a fight and, and said, we'd like to present this shit to you? That's not how that shit got on that ship. Some company commander or first sergeant stand there smoking a cigarette and say, you know, that looked great in front of the company office, and then walk away. And then at 3 in the morning, a staff sergeant with, right, a corporal, <laughs> right, and seven PFCs is muscling Right, this sign that's at the entrance to Way City onto a truck, and then it's going on the ship underneath the tarp, and then it's going to go kerplunk outside of the, of the of the company CP. And somebody, how in the hell did that get here? Well, the first art was smoking, <laughs> right? I mean, that's how this shit happens. Yep. 
<laughs> they didn't give us that stuff. Why? Because they love that guy. They love that woman. And, and, and that's how those things have come back with us. But again, I don't think. Yeah, but nowadays, don't don't mount an, a, an AK-47 on a plaque and put it up in your wardroom. I know. <laughs> I know. We're a little bit different. Well, we're just talking about mile markers and stuff. But again, I, I mean, to me, I'm not sure. And none of the services track that stuff. I've asked the other services, hey, do you track who comes in and their background? Nope. Here's the interesting thing. In that survey that University of Rochester did that's copyrighted by the American Medical Association, if you want to look it up. So it's no bullshit. Uh, 25% of the respondees checked four or more categories on that. 25%. Stunning, the numbers. Stunning. And we don't know it. That's the most stunning part. That's the most stunning part. Well, right. you know, again, if you, uh, you know, if you know your, if you know your folks, uh, and, you know, and granted, I don't, I don't have that many folks anymore, but uh, if you know your folks, then it wouldn't surprise you because you've seen this before. Um, and, and you do need to know them. Uh, and you, and there's no, there's no limit on that uh, of, of, of learning about your people. And it's hard. It's time consuming. But it's easy if you if you actually give a crap about it, and and you know that's that's another thing that concerns the uh, concerns me is the you know again the old guy uh, kind of looking at this from from the outside is you know if the if the give a shit factor amongst the leadership is getting that low, um, then you know at at that at that hands on leadership level at right. the Company at the level. foreman level, right. uh, then again there's a systemic problem there that that. You know, is 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 going to bite us in the ass at some point? Right. Let's talk about this month's gazette. Um, is there a theme? So February February's gazette, and we're coming down to the tail end on February. Is the uh, the annual uh, innovation uh, edition? Um, so you've got a uh, uh, real variety of articles in there. Uh, some of which are coming out of the uh, uh, the warfighting lab at Quantico, but many of which are, are from out across the force. Um, looking at uh, innovation, uh, I don't want to say completely, but, but primarily through the lens of uh, uh, future force design, so force design 2030, um, but, but a lot of other really, really creative uh, 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 thinking articles out there, uh, again, coming from, from across, the, uh, across the fleet. Give me a give me a couple that you would highlight for us. Uh, well, I mean, all of them are great. <laughs> I'm sure I know there are, and there's far too many for us to talk about because there's even some that are available or that are online that are in the print print edition. So, having said that, get your uh, put your Harry Potter hat on and give me a couple. So I would, uh, and, and actually, interesting this month's uh, this month's magazine. You've got. Uh, uh, it's a big magazine. I'll put it to you that way. There's a, there's a lot of content in there. Um, one of the ones that I think would uh, probably interest a lot of folks is the uh, a great letter from uh, from General Ben Watson, who's the commanding general of the Warfighting Lab. I know you'll appreciate the title, uh, "Old Books and New Ideas." Uh, you know, so the idea again of uh, a lot of a lot of innovation, uh, uh, those those new out of the box ideas really in many cases come from looking at uh, uh, some some historical examples of, of how the Marine Corps actually innovated in the past. Uh, you know, it's uh, 
it's it's important to note that uh, you know we're hitting a, a milestone in terms of uh, um, uh, the original report that then uh, Major and Lieutenant Colonel Pete Ellis wrote about uh, uh, advanced bases in the Pacific a uh, hundred years ago. You know, 1921 was when that report was first published. Wow. And then over the next, uh, you know, 15 years, it would become the basis for uh, the war plan in the Pacific. Uh, and so, uh, again, you, you, you look backwards to look forward sometimes. Um, got a great, uh, great Well, article. I mean, and truth be told, right. First of all, Ben Watson was a battalion commander. Um, I can't remember which battalion that was served under RCT-1 in Hellman. In 2010-11, when I was there, General Furness, Colonel Furness at the time, but what a what a what a great leader Ben Watson is, um, and that old phrase, you know, if you want a new idea, read an old book, um, and uh, and a lot of them, <laughs> a lot of them come from come from that. So very nice planned words by by General Watson. Yep. The um uh, the other uh, you know a couple other really good articles I think that folks will uh, you know want to uh, want to read this month um, the experimentation plan so we know uh, and and you know certainly there's uh, there's been a lot written and a lot of commentary about uh, uh, the commandant's initiatives in force design 2030 right. but but this is an article that kind of catches folks up on where where the effort is right now and going into 2021 in the next the next stages of force development which are the wargaming and experimentation live force experimentation uh, phases uh, which are which are ongoing so a little bit of a, of a report out on on that plan uh, as we uh, as we go forward the um, uh, you know again the interesting parallel there is you know, remember that uh, Ellis's report uh, at the time throughout the 20s and 30s drove live force experimentation and and multiple war games. Uh, Quantico uh, down at uh, Culebra in Puerto Rico actually working uh, the capabilities needed uh, to execute the sort of operations that that are being described in that what today we would call a warfighting concept, the, uh, you know, the, the advanced bases in the central, uh, Pacific. Um, and then, uh, uh, you've got, a, another, another article in there specifically about, uh, um, littoral access companies. So again, sort of an out of the box view of, of a future, uh, uh, formation and the capabilities required, uh, to, you know, fight advanced base operations, uh, in, uh, uh, in congested maritime terrain, uh, and then since since you did mention uh, the web web articles, if you uh, if you go out on the uh, on our website, the web only article uh, for uh, one of them for February sort of turns this on its head. I mean, an awful lot of inf- uh, innovation discussion focuses on uh, equipment capabilities and gear, uh, new and new and better equipment. Um, but uh, there's an article. Uh, by Captain Brian Claudio, called "Humans Are More Important Than Hardware," uh, and really looks at the uh, the training and development of uh, of the Marines who operate the equipment, the the men and women that we equip with that equipment. Uh, you know, we don't we don't man the gear; we give gear to the man or woman, and uh, and this sort of uh, provides some very good. Uh, uh, touchstones on that uh, on that subject. That's well, you know that's interesting because I I I asked that question 
um, I, when I was with Second Ma for three weeks. And you know, I said, you guys are custodians for some pretty expensive stuff around here. I said, I'm not sure if you know that, but you do. And, um, and I said, machines more important than people. I said, you know, you can get pretty, you know, I said, my understanding is you take care of the people, everything else gets taken care of, right? And can you answer the question sitting in here today? Do you know them? And if you don't know that his or her, you know, brother or sister has a compound fracture of, you know, his or her leg and they're restoring their dad's Camaro, you don't know them. If you don't know them, you can't change their lives. So it's interesting that that whole, that whole, uh, that's an interesting article because, um, I mean, I mean, hell, I mean, I mean, the, the, the price tag on, e on equipment today, good God, man, get caught screwing that up. See how long it lasts. <laughs> right. <laughs> Come on. That's right. That's I mean, right. We, we used to get worried about losing a lensatic compass. I would get your ass relieved. Yeah. Right now. Pfft, I'm not even sure if they even still have that in the inventory. I'm sure somewhere, maybe in the museum, they have it. But yeah, uh, Mac, they still have it and they still use it. They do. <laughs> still got to do old fashioned land now. Do they? Oh, God bless them. God bless them. That was a that was a miserable day. Um, <laughs> all right, Woody. What haven't I been smart enough to ask you about? What's going on either with the Gazette um, or something you got going on that you want to make sure people know? Um, well, I'll uh, I'll talk real briefly about this. Uh, folks can read about it uh, in a little more detail. Uh, in the, uh, it'll actually be in the April edition uh, of the magazine, uh, but we'll uh, we'll be running some some notifications about this uh, online. Actually, we've already we've already started doing that for the last few weeks. But um, and this may seem like a like a minor thing, but uh, we are we are changing the name of the organization, and in uh, in reality, we're we're changing it back to what it originally was. So when, uh, when the Marines needed a professional association back in 1913, uh, they formed what was called the MCA, the Marine Corps Association. Uh, around 2009, uh, we stood up a uh, public charity, a charitable foundation, uh, in order to make it easier for folks to uh, contribute uh, money to uh, to their fellow Marines, uh, to, you know, for, for, for veteran Marines and retired Marines to, to give back and to uh, do that in a way that was beneficial to them in terms of, uh, you know, taxes. Uh, you have to have the right kind of, right. Uh, of, uh, of charitable organization to do that. And so in 2009, we established that and, and changed the name to the Marine Corps Association and Foundation and, uh, and, and quite frankly, confused the heck out of everybody. Um, for uh, for quite some time. Well, uh, you know what they say, Woody. The road to hell is paved with good intention. Absolutely, absolutely, and it, and it was certainly good intentions to draw uh, draw folks' attention to that uh, uh, that 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 charitable foundation. You bet. Uh, but again, what we've what we've discovered is uh, most folks, most Marines in particular, serving Marines, just refer to us as the association. Um, they get a little confused when we start talking about MCA and F or MCAF. Some folks think it's an air facility. Uh, so, so uh, I, I do. To, uh, I, I do. Yeah, there you go. In order to uh, uh, relieve some of that uh, that uh, uh, ambiguity, uh, we have uh, as of uh, as of officially uh, this month of February changed back to the Marine Corps Association. And uh, our 
our web presence, our digital presence reflects that. And uh, come the uh, the April magazines, we're going to have a little bit of uh, uh, some some more information about that. Also highlighting as part of that how our our mission hasn't changed. We're still the professional association of the Marine Corps, and we're still dedicated to professional development and and recognizing professional excellence. And we'll point to some of the other uh, resources that we have available to Marines out there, uh, and uh, both both active reserve veteran Marines to uh, uh, improve professionally. Uh, and uh, that's that's uh, some great collections as we were talking about earlier out there on our uh, on our website. So uh, that's that's really the only uh, the only news news. And uh, again, it's 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 going to be one of those things where. Uh, um, you know, some folks are going to scratch their heads and say, well, I thought you always were the association. So it's, exactly. Uh, I've got an email for you. Hey, Mac, did I hear that right? Is that book free? Woody? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. It, it, uh, you have to write into history division and, uh, and they will provide you a, uh, a copy. I think it can also be downloaded too. I'm not, I haven't tried that, but I think it can be, uh, can be downloaded as a PDF. Let me just tell you how beautiful this book is and why, if I was you, I would certainly um, get one. All right. It's called Investigating EWO, Flag Raising and Myth, Flag Raisings in Myth, Memory, and Esprit de Corps. Um, uh, the Ford's done by General Hewley. And, and, and the people that you're going to read in this thing are, um, are great, great writers, right? Dr. Brian Robertson, uh, Marine Corps Universe History Division. Dr. Charles Niemeyer, Marine Corps Historical Division. Colonel Doug Nash, U.S. Army retired. Dr. Melissa Wren, Harvard Business School. Dr. Austin Porter, Kenyon College. Dr. David Mills, U.S. Army General Staff College. Um, tomorrow, you're going to hear from one of the writers, and that is uh, you have Mary Reinwalds in there, you have Kyle Gentry. Who writes uh, chapter thirteen? Chapter thirteen entitled "In Fairness to All Parties." The Marine Corps corrects the historical record, so we're going to talk to Kyle about that. And uh, I served with Kyle in Iraq, and he's a great guy. And uh, so, I, so what you the pictures in there alone are worth getting it for, okay? And but the scope of it is, I mean, there's pictures of them putting putting the 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 statue together. Right, and so you're seeing the one of the rifles craned onto the statue. It's all I, that's the kind of, that's the kind of stuff. So if you're a dork and you like this stuff, you just heard it from Woody. Okay, you it's free. All right, yeah, the magic word free. Yeah, it, it, it you know again. I think if you go online, all you gotta do is fill out a form and they'll send it to you. And then in a couple weeks, magically you'll get this substantial package in the mail and you'll go what the hell and you'll see historical division now let me just tell you this i'm going to give you the dimensions of this thing this thing is one two three four it's eight and a half inches wide it is uh 10 it's 11 inches long and it is about an inch thick. So it is a substantial piece of propaganda. I mean, a book. Okay. 
We get confused sometimes. But let me just tell you, I love this book, okay? It's on my desk. It's in my hands right now in case you can't tell, okay? And I'll just crack it open sometimes, and I'll flip through just to look at the pictures or if some a conversation, especially this time of year. Um, you know, um, here's, here's this is what David Mills writes. Did Joe Rosenthal save the Marine Corps, the existential fight? 1943 to 1952, right? Mm -hmm. That's a pretty interesting chapter in American history, a picture of, you know, um, Secretary Forrestal and General Smith, you know, with Mount Suribachi in the background, uh, General Vandegrift testifying in front of Congress about why we still needed a Marine Corps in spite of the nuclear age, blah, 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 blah. So it's just great stuff. Anyway, anyway, so I thought I should say that. All right, Woody, you've been very generous with your time this morning. Um, it won't, I promise won't be another two months before I get you back on. And, uh, I always enjoy the conversation. I always enjoy your frankness. I, let me just tell you this, this whole issue relative to our staff and COs and, you know, how do you do leadership when any Lance Corporal can put your ass up on social media and allegate against you and in theory, destroy your career? How, how, how thick does an officer's skin have to be? And the Marine Corps is an institution. What do they have to be able to do if we're going to allow a foreman on our construction site? If not, at some point, it ain't going to turn out so good. And so I appreciate your candor in discussing that because it is not a small issue in the Marine Corps today. It is not a small issue in the Marine Corps today. And a lot of people wouldn't talk about it. So I appreciate you doing that. You bet. You bet. All right, bud. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. There you Talk to you soon. The one and only Chris Woodbridge here on a on a uh, Tuesday morning. I'll remember that. This show that's supposed to be an hour <laughs> never seemed to be. I'll get there someday. All right. But uh, that'll do it on a, uh, on a Tuesday. Thanks for listening. If you're just tuning in, uh, Chris Woodbridge joins us, and we talk about uh, talk about Iwo Jima. We talk about um, leadership, right? This issue in the Marine Corps, where you know, you know, you can't push too hard on Marines. What does that mean, right? And what's happened is, in in a lot of places, the staff NCOs go in. And, do their job, but they don't own the barracks anymore. And in that environment steps a lot of irresponsible young people who do stupid things and hurt other people. And that's not good. So we'll talk about that. And we talk about this month's Gazette. So thanks for listening. Have a great day. Kyle Gentry is going to join us tomorrow. Colonel of the United States Marine Corps. I think Kyle's an arty guy, if I'm not mistaken. We'll talk to him tomorrow. Don't be afraid to change somebody's life. Yeah, do that. It's a good thing to do. On a Tuesday, I'm out.